Let's begin our second study in Ruth by reading the passage we will be considering. Our study will concentrate on Ruth chapter 1 and verses 8 through 18. Beginning in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 8, we read, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters, why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. In our last study, we saw the graves of three husbands in Moab. Now we see the grief of three widows as they decide the direction of their lives and the course of their future without their husbands. The late J. Vernon McGee, in his commentary on Ruth, calls this scene the meeting of the handkerchief brigade. Each of the three women in Act 1 of this four-act drama has buried a husband and has a broken heart. It is the story of a mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law, each with an empty home and an empty heart. In the actions and attitudes of each widow, there are lessons to be learned. In one, we have a troubling example. In another... We have a tragic example. And in the third, we have a thrilling example. These three widows illustrate three classes of people. So let's glean some lessons from the example of these three widows. First, we see in Naomi a discouraging widow. The first widow that I want you to notice is Naomi. We have seen her disobedient walk. Now I want you to notice her discouraging words. Naomi is an example of a believer that is a hindrance to the work of God. Now you may say, can there be such a thing? Can there be a genuine Christian that is actually a hindrance? Well, the Bible says that individuals like Lot, Jacob, and Samson were redeemed saints of God. And yet their lives were less than stellar in their conduct and their choices. So it is absolutely possible for a person to be born again and yet to be a hindrance to God's work. Now, let me add to that this truth. You don't want to be that person that is a hindrance and detriment to God's work, even if you are saved. Why, you may ask? Well, one day we must all give a personal account to the Lord for how we have lived our life. 
The Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. With respect to Naomi, she is, at this point in her spiritual walk, a hindrance to God. Now, Naomi had decided and determined to return to Israel, but at this point, she was still in Moab. Naomi illustrates how the life of a believer that is not living for God is often a discouragement to others knowing God. As we view this scene, we see that Naomi was first being observed. Naomi illustrates how the life of a believer that is not living for God is often a discouragement that keeps others from knowing God. As we view this scene, we see that Naomi was being observed. Orpah and Ruth were from Moab. They had grown up in a land of idolatry. They had been reared in a place that did not know the true and living God. Their life had been one of spiritual desolation and spiritual darkness. However, Naomi was from Bethlehem, Judah. She knew the one true and living God. We would say that Naomi was saved, whereas Ruth and Orpah were unsaved. We read this in Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. There had been a departure from the land of God and a discipline by the hand of God. So Naomi takes steps to return to Bethlehem, Judah. When she started back, her daughters-in-law followed her. It would appear that Ruth and Orpah, in their hour of despair, were looking to Naomi for direction. For a widow in that day and time, life would be very difficult. They probably did not know what to do. So, in their hour of grief, they looked to Naomi for guidance. They were watching to see what Naomi would do. Whatever she did, they would do. Every action and step of Naomi was being observed. Listen, folks, we as believers need to be constantly reminded that we are being watched by the unsaved. Whether we admit it or not, accept it or not, or acknowledge it or not, we are being watched by those around us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. In the Greek, the word translated spectacle referred to watching actors in a theater. Paul's point is that they, and us as well, are on the stage of this world, and our performance is being watched by those who are unsaved. As we continue looking at this scene, we also see that Naomi was being obstructive. One of the chief occupations of a believer is to try and lead unbelievers to the Lord. Daniel 12.3 tells us that we are to seek to turn many to righteousness. A person going to heaven is to work to take people to heaven with them. It is both astounding and alarming that Naomi, instead of seeking to turn her daughter-in-laws to God, she sought to turn them from God. Notice what she said to them in verse 8. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. She encouraged them to stay in Moab and discouraged them from going to Judah. We do see how thankful she was for their care. 
She said to them in verses 8 and 9, The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. They had been good wives and good daughter-in-laws. She expressed her desire that they have a good life and one favored by God. We also see in verses 10 through 13 how hurtful she was when it came to their conversion. They said unto her, Surely we'll return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Now, Naomi's words here may seem strange and confusing to us in our day and culture. What Naomi was referring to was known as a levirate marriage. It was actually commanded and required as a part of the law. For instance, Deuteronomy 25.5 states, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. What does that mean? If a man died without any children, his brother had to marry the widow to continue the family line. Deuteronomy 25.6 says, And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. Thus, the firstborn of such a marriage would be considered the dead brother's child and heir. Why was such a marriage required? Well, in Israel, the promised land was the most important thing because it had been given to the Hebrew people by God. Each family in Israel had a set and appointed portion of land that was theirs in perpetuity. And it was retained in the family to which it was given through inheritance. If there was no son to inherit the land, the land would cease to be a part of that family's possession. Neither Orpah nor Ruth had any sons to inherit the land that belonged to Elimelech's two sons, Malan and Kilian. And those two sons had passed away, and Naomi had no other sons to marry them and give them children. Thus, Naomi was saying to them, I don't have any more children, and I am too old to have more. Go back to your people and start over with your life. Find you a husband among your own people. And here is the problem with that seemingly practical advice. Naomi was only thinking of their material circumstances while neglecting their spiritual condition altogether. She was only thinking of her physical needs and not their spiritual needs. Naomi reminds us of those who are professing Christians but are not practicing Christians. She knew the Lord but was being obstructive in others coming to know her God. Mohandas Gandhi, the famed leader of India and the Indian independence movement, probably influenced more people than any man apart from Christ that has ever lived. The independence movement began with a handful of people and he led it into a massive movement of millions. He once made the statement, I would be a Christian if it were not for other Christians. Robert Ingersoll, the infidel notorious for his attacks on the Bible, had a very godly aunt. 
He sent her a copy of one of his books that attacked and was against the Bible. In the flyleaf, he wrote, If all Christians had lived like Aunt Sarah, perhaps this book would have never been written. It is so unfortunate that many believers live a life that is repelling rather than appealing. They are a blight to the name of Christ rather than a light for the cause of Christ. Dick Shepherd said, The greatest handicap the church has is the unsatisfactory lives of professing Christians. Naomi, even though a believer, discouraged Ruth and Orpah from following her. How sad when those who know God become a hindrance to others knowing God. Now the second widow in our story that I want us to consider is Orpah. In her we see a departing widow. If Naomi was the discouraging widow, then Orpah was the departing widow. Orpah illustrates those who turn away from God and reject Him as their Lord and Savior. As we look at Orpah, we first see her returning to Moab. We read in verse 14, And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. We see the tears and hear the sobs of separation, and Orpah decides to go back to Moab. She puts her arms around Naomi, kisses her, and starts back. It is true that Naomi had discouraged her from going to Judah, but ultimately the decision was hers. She was the one who made the final decision to go back. Orpah chose to stay in a cursed land. She chose to live in a place of spiritual darkness and desolation. She chose to go back to her false gods. She chose to continue to live the way she had always lived. She could have chosen to go to Judah in spite of Naomi, but she chose to stay in Moab. Orpah reminds us of those who are given the opportunity to be saved, yet they reject that offer and choose to live a life without God. She reminds us of those who reject Christ and the opportunity to be saved. As a preacher of God's Word, there is nothing any more disturbing and heartbreaking than to see people reject Christ and spurn the opportunity to be saved. And we not only see Orpah returning to Moab, but we also see her remaining in Moab. This is the last time that we ever see or hear of Orpah. The rest of the story is not given, but it would appear that Orpah returned to Moab and remained there the rest of her life. For a widow in that time and place, it would be highly unlikely, if not nearly impossible, for her to one day just up and move from Moab to Israel. So in all probability, she lived the rest of her life in a cursed land and died in the same condition. How tragic it is for someone to have heard the gospel, to have been given the opportunity to be saved, then say no and die lost without God. It reminds me of another individual that missed his opportunity. It was to King Agrippa that Paul was brought before and to whom Paul testified to and presented the gospel. And what was Agrippa's response to the gospel? It is recorded in Acts 26, verse 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. The distance between almost being a Christian and being a Christian is the distance between heaven and hell. The great tragedy is that not one person in hell had to go there. Why do people decide to reject the opportunity to be saved? Jesus, while having a theological discussion with Nicodemus, gave the answer to that question. In John 3 and verse 19, Jesus said, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
In a nutshell, men prefer to live apart from God rather than submit to His will. Every person can be saved, and that is God's desire. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it says in 1 Timothy 2.4, that God will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, while it is God's desire and longing that every person be saved, He will not make them come to Him for salvation. He will give them opportunities to believe and call on Him for salvation, but He will not impose salvation on them. It is their choice. It is your choice. What a tragedy that all men could be saved but most will not. How horrific to spend all of eternity with the reality that you could have been saved. How terrible to look back and remember that at this very moment, God was inviting you to be saved, and instead of receiving His offer, you rejected it. Untold numbers die each day and go to hell that had the opportunity to be saved. They, like Orpah, rejected the God who could save them. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior and thereby received the precious gift of salvation, don't miss this opportunity. You may never get another chance. Now, so far, this would be a pretty discouraging and depressing account. There is the saved widow that discouraged people from coming to the true and living God. And there is the widow who decided to remain in spiritual darkness separated from God. But the third widow in this story is Ruth, and her actions turn a depressing story into a delightful ending. In Ruth, we see a deciding widow. We see Ruth making a decision that changed her life. We read in verse 14 that instead of leaving Naomi, Ruth clave unto her. Ruth illustrates for us that person that says yes to Jesus and yes to the opportunity to be saved. Ruth heard the same discouraging speech of Naomi, but refused to miss the opportunity. It is interesting that Ruth's decision is described in words that have been immortalized in music and enshrined in poetry and prose. Her resolve is a classic in literature and has been used in the vows of many a wedding ceremony. She says in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Entreat me not to leave thee, to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. The decision Ruth made gave her a new life. Ruth said in verse 16, For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. She was leaving a cursed land for a blessed land. She was leaving a place of spiritual darkness for a place of spiritual light. She was leaving a land and life of idolatry for a land and life where the one true and living God could be worshipped. Her decision brought her into a new life. Salvation gives a person a new life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away, and behold, all things are become new. Salvation makes us a new person and gives us a new life. 
A man was speaking on a street corner and said, Socialism will give you a new job. Socialism will give you a new house. Socialism will give you a new coat to wear. Can anyone tell me anything that is better than that? An old man stepped forward and said, Yes, I can. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation will put a new man on the job. Salvation will put a new man in the house and a new man in the coat. We also see that Ruth's decision gave her a new Lord. Ruth also said in verse 16, Thy people shall be my people and thy God shall be my God. No doubt she had worshipped the false idols and false gods of Moab. She had known nothing but paganism. Now she has a new Lord in her life. Her life is now centered around the God of Israel and around His people. Before God saved us, our gods were riches. Our gods were recreation and reputations. But salvation gives us a new Lord and a new Master. We are now drawn to His interests. We no longer bow to the gods of this world, but we bow at the feet of our blessed Redeemer. And finally, we see that her decision gave her a new loyalty. Ruth said in verse 17, Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. Ruth was saying, This decision is for the rest of my life. She had no desire to go back, nor did she have plans to return. Her decision was for time and eternity. Friend, that is genuine faith. That is real faith. She had no idea what the future held, but she knew she was not going back or turning back. Her certainty reminds me of Paul's certainty. Facing the executioner's axe, if he did not deny Christ, Paul refused. And with death staring him in the face, he penned these words in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Real saving faith produces in a person's heart a new loyalty. It is a new loyalty to Christ. Ruth's actions and attitude reminds me of the hymn that we occasionally sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Really, what do we have to go back to in the world? There would be nothing but a life of hopelessness and emptiness. Just like Ruth, there is nothing behind us and everything before us. Each of us can find ourselves in one of these three widows. In which one do you find yourself? Are you Naomi, a saved believer but hindering God's work and discouraging people by word or deed from coming to Christ? Are you like Orpah, rejecting and missing the opportunity that God is offering? Or... Have you, like Ruth, chosen by faith the promised land? The choice is always yours, but you may not get another opportunity. Orpah rejected the opportunity and missed out on the blessings. Ruth, on the other hand, seized the opportunity and laid hold of the blessings and is forever remembered for her faith. Do like Ruth and make the wise, the best, and blessed choice. Choose God and become one of His children and a part of His people. Your life, in all the best ways, will never be the same. I hope you have been blessed and encouraged by our weekly time together in God's Word. If our time together each week is a blessing, then we would appreciate you letting us know. 
We are excited by the opportunity to share God's Word, but we need to know that you want us to continue this weekly broadcast. To do that, you can send an email to office at dscaz.com. That's office at dscaz.com. Or you can drop us a little note by mailing it to P.O. Box 8516, Surprise, Arizona, 85374. Or you can visit our website, www.dscaz.com, where you will find a contact form for your use. Just tell us what you think and that you want us to continue. Your comments and feedback would be a blessing to us and will encourage us to continue this ministry. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may you be daily in his word.